Hey, Margaret Armand is back. Remember her? This is her second of her two entries in TAS, so uh, that still puts her ahead of the curve as far as writers. So far, I haven't seen a single episode that's been written by someone who didn't do more than two episodes. And most of these are done by just one person. Or, I'm saying this wrong. I'm saying the wrong way. Most people only do one episode. Only a few people have done two. No one's done three so far. I'm not sure anyone will at this point. There's not that many episodes in this show. <clears throat> So, this is almost assuredly a, we, we have these new tools, we need to, to, to use them kind of an episode. Especially since the idea for this apparently came from Dorothy Fontana to Miss Armand, which, uh, which is also interesting since we already know that Miss Fontana was effectively acting as a senior secretary for Rodbury, so the idea probably actually came from Rodbury. I also noticed that there's a whopping six roles that Dewan plays in this episode. I believe that's uh, a, a record. No, no, he played more in yesteryear. Right, I mentioned that back then. But, or at least I meant to. It's in my notes. <clears throat> but just, I'm not even making fun. It's just, that's the problem you run into, right? I mean, there's a reason why I voiced something like 20 separate roles in the FF9 theater. You know what I mean? Anyways, <clears throat> so, the naval shuttle. Can I just say that that's actually kind of a cool idea? I've always thought that they should have more vehicles in Trek, and I do get budget limitations. I absolutely do. But I think it'd be kind of neat if they decided to have, you know, a ground vehicle, an air vehicle, and a, a liquid and water underwater vehicle, instead of just the shuttle, which is effectively an air vehicle, and that's it. I, I don't know, just, just food for thought, and something that has occurred to me many times in the past. It also would allow for more specialization for different types of terrain. You know, in situations where it's there's simply... How many times has there been a shuttle trying to land and there's too much wind or the storm is too terrifying where a ground vehicle would be able to traverse? And, of course, going underwater, there's pressure problems. So while a shuttle has shields, it can only last so far actually going underwater. So having a ship designed to deal with that pressure that can actually go underwater, you can see the benefit of that. And, I mean, exploration, right? Like, do I even need to explain this? You, you can't tell me that there wouldn't be uses for this. Just food for thought and something to think of going forwards. That being said, the water shuttle can fly, right? That's how it got down here. So when they're being attacked by the serpent, why don't they just leave? I, whatever. So they're attacked by the shuttle. And oh my god. And then Kirk and Spark are like, oh, we need an emergency beam out. But unfortunately, Kirk makes the mistake that all Starfleet personnel make. When you ask for an emergency anything, the other person responds in one of two ways. They either take forever, because they're apparently Elcor, or they decide to just be like, oh my god, what? What did you call for? Are you sure you need an emergency? What's the problem? Quick, answer me, answer me. <laughs> it's it's actually kind of face-palmy. Then they spend five days looking for them. And when one of them randomly happens to visually see the wreckage of the shuttle, which they apparently couldn't detect from orbit because... So they see the shuttle, and hey, lo and behold, Spock and Kirk are right next to the shuttle. Now, granted, from what we know, they weren't there the whole five days because they were brought down and surgically altered and then put back on the bed. But That brings me up to another point, though. These people took them in, surgically altered them, and then threw them back up to the surface. Let me say that again. They surgically altered them to breathe water and then shoved them to the surface. 
This was a death sentence. They never really address this per se, although it is worth worth noting that they later try to kill them again by actually putting them on the surface and this time putting a net over them so they could just sit there and suffocate. Nice people. <clears throat> Anyways. So then they spend two days... What's with these time shifts? Two days trying to figure out what the heck is going on. It turns out they've been injected with something which has changed their metabolism completely and now they have flippers and things and... Apparently they can handle depth stuff. I'll talk about that in a second. But I, I was going to just rail about this point and how that's not how anything works and we are not Pokemon. But then I realized something. This is Star Trek. And in Star Trek, we have Lego genetics. Not too awful long ago, from my perspective, uh, I was working on the episode of TNG Genesis, which is probably the most Lego genetics episode out there, but it's not the only one. And it's a really common trend that if you just splice something in or change something or resequence something, the whole body just starts going, oh, I need to be this now. And you turn into Godzilla or whatever. Or a salamander, as the case may be. Is I know that this is just because the writers don't understand how this works. But with the consistency at which it shows up, is it within the realm of possibility that it's just within the Star Trek universe, human beings literally are just Pokemon? Is that, is that just a thing? Are we just going to accept that as, as canon now? Oh my god, that's an interesting thought. A Star Trek Pokemon crossover. Like Star Trek is the future of Pokemon or something like that. Now you got me thinking. Ash is there. He still hasn't won a tournament. Anyways. <clears throat> so, whatever. Dumb genetics, sure. Then they decide to try, they try to figure out how to cure them, but they just, nothing they can figure out works. They're, all their medical science has completely failed them. Question. Why are they just running through the transporter? Twice in this show, in this season, they've already used the transporter to cure people of magical ailments. Why not just do that again? If, if you're going to do it, you might as well have it available as a tool, right? Some of you, quite a few of you, actually complained about the removal slash nerfing of the transporters over in the Truck Rewrite Project. Stuff like this is one of several reasons why. Because the transporters are magic, except when the writers want there to be a threat, so they ignore it. And the inconsistency of that and the aggravation of that is most of the problem. So we could either make it so that every single time they can use the transporters as they should, which is going to drastically change every episode, or we could nerf the hell out of the transporters. We went with the nerf. It's just... Mm, okay. It's okay. They, they 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 talk about, okay, we need to get down to the to the surface of the ocean. And they even mention the pressure and the depth problems. Hey, that's that's good. That's good credit. But it's okay. Kirk can handle it because they have flippers. I really want you to picture some dude who's just got, you know, the the, the plastic flippers you put on, you know, the shoes, you know, that you put on. And he's like, don't worry, I can handle the crushing open ocean depths. Um, <clears throat> this makes me wonder, how do aquatic aliens function in the Federation? Do they have like a, a suit, like, 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 like an aqua suit that they just carry around with them? Are there aquatic races in the Federation? I actually can't think of any off the top of my head. Other than the whales, obviously. We've already mentioned that one. So, tiny interesting tidbit. They're talking in the council, and one of them mentions, you always seek to change the ancient records. Huh. That implies an interesting layer of politics. Because while the youthful generation is clearly shown as the good guys in this particular scenario, and they're the ones who are actually, you know, 
trying to help fix things and trying to learn about the past and trying to help the future, it, it implies either that this is a badly written line, most likely, or that they're actively trying to rewrite history. Now that's an interesting idea. What would be the possible benefit of that, I wonder? Now, I could think of several reasons, but it implies a, a cultural war of political means, which would be very fascinating if it was properly addressed, which of course it is not. If you're wondering, the general direction I'm thinking in is, well, it's okay to do X, Y, and Z that our political party is pushing. After all, the ancient records show that that's something that was done back in the day. And therefore, since our ancestors did it, it's totally cool. Gaining that kind of support for it. Just food for thought. Anywho. It's all, it also feels like a little bit of legality, technically so we know what that means. So now we have to have the ticking clock. There's a sea quake coming, and it'll destroy the city, and it'll ruin their lives, but it's okay. It's okay, because she goes and saves them, and we find out that the belt shields actually work underwater, which... I was going to complain about that, but I started thinking about it. While the pressure differences are obviously different, those shields obviously allow them to breathe and interact in space. So it makes sense that they would be able to breathe and interact underwater, too. So, oh, you know what? No complaints. I'm with it. And they bother to actually animate that. And as I mentioned last episode, while I am irritable at the we-need-to-use-the-animation-tools-even-when-it-makes-no-sense thing, it's worth noting that when they use the animation tools for good purpose, I'm actually with it, like I was in the Terratin incident. And here, well, this episode sucks, but it sucks entirely from a writing perspective. The visuals, the design, I'm actually kind of with that. And an underwater-focused episode is a good purpose to have for, for animation. It's something that you just flat-out could not do. They couldn't do any of this. They couldn't do the tank in sickbay. They couldn't do the long, expansive shots over the ocean area. They couldn't do the underwater bits. They couldn't do this. They couldn't do any of this in the live-action show at this time. Hell, they couldn't do this stuff in TNG era. Not, not until, like, mid-TNG, when TNG really started picking up stride. So... Okay. Now, if you have a good script under that, that would work even better. But I also had that same complaint about the Terratin incident, and I've noticed a lot of these scripts suck. So far, only, like, what, three? I've been keeping track here. Three of the scripts have been decent. Everything else has just been whatever. Huh. Anyways. So, it is forbidden to help others. But we really need this help. Okay. I know it's a recurring gag. I know it is because they use it as the closing joke. You know, this time we'll actually follow the the record, you know, the ordainments, and they just spend the whole episode breaking it. Yeah, okay, that's very very funny. Then the boss fight is back, and then is immediately defeated, and they discover the the cure. This <laughs> the cure for direct genetic manipulation is to be injected with an antitoxin. How many of you out there know anything about medical science to, to, to just look at that and be like, you know how that works, right? Something that you know or something you're interested in, something you're more versed in, tends to be the kind of stuff that you snag on when it comes to fiction and when writers get it wrong. For me, that's usually IT stuff uh, when it comes to... Um, you know, you know, like like there's a lot of modern day fiction where they're like, we need to hack all the IPs simultaneously, and it's just okay. And that's the kind of thing that tends to snag me. I'm curious how many people out there who are watching this, uh, either with me or in general, who remember this episode, who got snagged on the medical biological side of things because what? 
Anyways. So then he gets fish scales. <gasps> ah, but it's okay. Because this one, it's going to be a permanent change, but no, it's okay. He's fine. Then the Aquans show up and they've got the Aqua suits on. And thus we see how aquatic people could be part of the Federation. Cool! That's, I'm actually impressed that they thought of that. And that they animated it. Again, credit to the animation side of things for once. And hang on. Did, did you notice that? Yeah, I, I think... Hang on. Blue, could you confirm this for me? Here, come here for a sec. Okay. Thank you, Blue. Hugs. Blue confirms. They just violated the Prime Directive. Hard. This is clearly a pre-warp civilization that was about to be destroyed and they had no way of saving themselves. But the Enterprise interfered in a way that not only saved them, but also allowed the other city to come up and fundamentally change their people forever. Huh. <laughs> How strange. <laughs> Whatever. I got nothing else. I hope you've enjoyed. Did you enjoy? Okay. We'll see you next time.